differentiate between the narcissistic person who just had narcissistic traits and the person with a narcissistic personality disorder. That's where the big difference comes in. You see, we all have narcissistic moments throughout our life. Difference is the momentary spurts of a narcissistic trait rearing its ugly head in our in our own personal life is very different from someone who has a full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. The mission is simple, to help high achievers naturally eliminate emotional and physical obstacles so they can optimize their life for higher achievement. Welcome. You have just entered the Genesis Zone. Good day, good day, good day, and welcome to the Genesis Zone show. This is Dr. Brian Brown. Thank you for taking time out of this beautiful Thursday and your busy schedule to join us today. Have you ever been exposed to a person, had a person in your life who caused you anxiety, maybe even stole your joy, uh, made you sad feeling, or just straight up made you angry all the time? Well, that other person might be a narcissist. In today's episode, I'm going to share with you um, some of the ins and outs of narcissism, what it looks like, how to differentiate between two types of narcissism, and how to deal with this in a healthy way for you so that you can get your joy and your life back. Um, I have to be completely honest with you. I'm going to shoot straight from the hip today. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be vulnerable. Uh, I have been a master at handling narcissists in my professional life for years, for decades now. But I've been horrible at handling narcissistic people in my personal life. As the show unfolds today, I'm going to share with you the pitfalls that I personally experienced and how I got out of those pits (laughs) Uh, so that you can know the best and most effective ways to protect and preserve your own sanity when it comes to dealing with narcissists. Uh, But for now, let's jump into today's episode. Uh, Firstly, I have to admit it, everywhere you turn on the internet, whether it's on TikTok or Facebook or Instagram, you're, you're hearing people talk about Uh, The newest boogeyman, uh, narcissist, it's everywhere you turn. And contrary to the most recent flutter of activity around the topic, narcissists are not new. They've been around pretty much since the beginning of time. And not everyone who has narcissistic symptoms has a true blue narcissistic personality disorder. The problem is these uh, self-proclaimed gurus of the internet who tout themselves as narcissist experts, they don't differentiate between narcissistic traits and narcissistic personality disorder. So when people get online and they go to Dr. Google and they look up narcissism, they're pulling up all of this stuff that's more clinical related to narcissistic personality disorders and uh, there gets a blurring of the lines. So we're going to differentiate that today, and we're going to straighten all that out. There's a huge difference uh, between the two. Uh, Take it from someone with nearly 24 years of clinical psychiatric practice experience, uh, and I'm going to get into this difference more in just a moment. 
but I recall studying about narcissism and other personality disorders in the late 1980s during my psychology classes, uh, during my first couple of years of, uh, of my university experience. But I don't think I really grasp the deeper nuances of narcissism and narcissistic people until I was in my psychiatric training in the early to mid 90s. Now, this is a random fact. Uh, did you know that the term, term narcissist actually comes from Greek mythology? Uh, Narcissus was a Greek character who rejected all romantic advances towards him. And instead, he became so enamored with his own image that he spent his entire life gazing into a reflection pool of water uh, at, his, at himself, at his own image. Now, I recall having an epiphany one day when the full weight of the term narcissist hit me, and I began having flashes of people's faces uh, from my childhood up through my current uh, then young adulthood years who fit the mold of a narcissist in my life. Now, at that time my, uh, of my aha moment, uh, it was easy for me to label almost anyone a narcissist. Uh, it wasn't until a couple of years into my training that I was able to uh, flesh out and differentiate between the narcissistic person who just had narcissistic traits and the person with a narcissistic personality disorder. That's where the big difference comes in. You see, we all have narcissistic moments throughout our life. The difference is the momentary spurts of a narcissistic trait rearing its ugly head in our in our own personal life is very different from someone who has a full-blown narcissistic personality disorder. Now, when dealing with someone who has a narcissistic personality disorder, it's not uncommon for others around them to describe them as charming or charismatic. Now, these others, quote unquote, that I'm talking about are usually in the acquaintance category, or sadly, they could be another narcissist. In the first example, uh, acquaintances who describe narcissists as charming or charismatic, they don't really know them well at all. They just haven't been around them uh, very much to see their true colors. However, given enough time and enough exposure to the narcissist, these acquaintances will almost always invariably change their perception. Now, the problem is that narcissists subconsciously know this, and therefore they never really get close to people. They keep all of their um, acquaintance relationships very shallow, very surface, in order to continue projecting that image of charm and charisma because it strokes their ego. It's the equivalent of Narcissus in Greek mythology looking into the reflective pool um, and, and, and really making that ego feel really, really good. And the even bigger consequence of this is that survivors of narcissism. Now, these are the people, those are uh, those of us who live or have lived in a home with a narcissist. Um, uh, we're not narcissistic ourselves, but we've lived in a home or maybe you currently live in a home with a narcissist. Um, and, and, 
And they are the ones who are made out to be crazy. We're, we're the ones that are made out to be crazy. Uh, us, us survivors of narcissism, uh, we're made out to think that we're crazy, we're loony, we're deranged. When we begin talking about how bad the narcissist, narcissist really is, and, and most acquaintance level people simply don't believe the survivors of narcissism. They think they're liars. They think they're making it up. They think they're, for whatever reason, jealous. I don't even understand that one, but I've heard that one before. I've experienced that one before. And, and they just don't know because they haven't been around them long enough. Sadly, as a result, the survivors of narcissism simply, they keep their mouth shut. And in many instances, uh, if they're lucky, <laughs> they just walk out. Uh, so let's review really quickly. When dealing with someone who has a narcissistic personality disorder, it's not uncommon for acquaintance level people to think of them as charming or charismatic. And the, the other side of that is it's not uncommon for a person with a narcissistic personality disorder to live with another person in a couple relationship who's also a narcissist. Now, in this latter example, uh, I worked with a very seasoned and respected psychologist, Dr. Caldwell, early in my career. Um, we still stay in contact to this day. I, I've, I've, worked, I've, I've known her for 24 years almost. And I remember telling her how puzzled I was that narcissists seemed to travel in pairs. Uh, and I'm talking about couple pairs. I remember asking her the question, how can that much dysfunction be attracted to that much dysfunction? And I remember her words to this day. And, and I think about them often. She says, Brian, the old saying that birds of a feather flock together is never truer than when you're dealing with personality disorders. And she went on to explain no one else could stand to be around them for a long-term relationship other than another personality disorder. So they are generally automatically drawn to each other. Now, you would think that they're, they're too much alike and would actually repel each other instead. But over and over, I've seen this play out throughout my career where there are couples who are narcissistic pairs and they're forces to be reckoned with. And they truly do complement each other's dysfunctional skill sets as weird as that may even sound and, and as weird as it feels coming out of my mouth. It's hard to believe, I know, but it is a thing. And the one thing they both have in common is making other people around them, let's say the children that they're raising in their home, feel stupid and crazy and dejected. They have an uncanny and almost instinctual ability to never take responsibility for their actions. In fact, they will throw other people under the proverbial bus at the first opportunity if it means getting the heat off their own back. That doesn't matter who you are when you're thrown under the bus or how close you are in biological relationship to them. They will throw you under the bus and sadly make you believe that it's your fault that you're under the bus. They have no, or I don't know, that's, that's awfully drastic, but they have no, or at least very little capability of remorse or empathy. And we call this gaslighting. 
But as recent behavioral psychologists have discovered in studying the brains of narcissistic survivors uh, living in the same home with a narcissist literally causes brain patterns and brain structures to change from healthy to unhealthy brain patterns and narcissist and non-narcissist brains. So, for example, a non-narcissist living in a narcissistic environment can struggle with things like depression. They can struggle with things like anxiety, low self-esteem. This one's going to sound familiar to a lot of people. Volunteering to take the blame for other people's crap. Even those people in their life who are not even narcissists. Apologizing for things that are beyond their control are not even something that they had anything to do with. Blaming themselves for the issues in a relationship versus blaming the narcissist itself or being someone else's doormat. The list goes on and on and on. We could stay here for days, hours, and and come up with multiple examples of how the brain gets rewired um, and and it would all be in non-healthy patterns. But there's brain dysfunction that occurs in a dysfunctional narcissistic family. The bottom line is this. If you live with a narcissist long enough, you will likely feel as though you have no voice. Because every time you speak, you're attacked, you're shot down, you're made to feel stupid, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You will likely also feel like you have no power, no strength. And this is because narcissists are energy vampires, for lack of a way of putting it. And I hate to use that term because it's so so commonly used these days. But no, let me correct that. They are the virtual black holes of the psychological cosmos. They will suck up every ounce of energy from everything within their immediate vicinity until those things that they're stealing energy from just shrivel up and disappear into that black hole. And what's even more crazy, you'll become anxiously attached to the whole process, tethered to it, if you will, by an invisible cord of some kind. Have you ever watched one of those sci-fi movies where the space, the astronauts are flying too close to a black hole and it's like they're tethered to it. It's like they're just being pulled in. They're being sucked in. And no matter what they do to try to overcome it, they they can't overcome it. And they get pulled into that black hole. That's that tether I'm talking about. Why does this tether exist? Well, it's because when you're in that narcissistic environment, and we know that our environment dictates our behavior. And in this particular case with uh, you know, the, the neurology research that's being done, the behavioral neurology research that's being done, we now know that those environments rewire those behavioral pathways in the brain, those patterns in the brain. You see, your subconscious processes at about 6 billion bits per second. That's the equivalent of a trip to the moon and back in about 4.8 hours. That's really fast. Or if you want another way of looking at it, it's the equivalent of watching 10 full-length cinema movies and comprehending everything that's going on all at the same time. So the subconscious takes in information at incredible amounts of speed and then catalogs it. 
So all this emotional stuff, all of these feelings, all of these experiences that you're having in this narcissistic environment, they're getting cataloged and categorized. And then we develop what we call automatic responses. So when a narcissist shames us, you automatically accept and apologize. When the narcissist blames you, you automatically lay yourself down uh, as if you're the doormat. And when a narcissist rages, you automatically feel you deserve it. It's messed up, I know, and it should never be that way. But if there is a good side to all of this, survivors of narcissism have an amazing, almost uncanny ability to read the emotional temperature of a room and adjust their demeanor, adjust their approach, their voice tone, their appearance in seconds. I call this the emotional chameleon phenomenon. It makes us really good empaths. And if you're in a helping or healing profession, it makes you really good at what you do. Have you ever wondered why a total stranger will walk up to you, say, in a supermarket and start telling you their life story? Well, if that's ever happened to you, it's probably because you're a natural empath and you project an energy of safe space. Those who grew up with narcissistic trauma are exceptionally good at this, but it's kind of like our kryptonite too, because it can rapidly drain us. And as a result, we have to spend a lot of time recharging our batteries for the next go round. Now, as I said at the top of the show, dealing with narcissists in my professional life has been exceptionally easy. I was really good at it. I still am. But in my personal life, from my childhood exposure to the narcissist in my life, I'll have to admit, I've been horrible at it. Um, I'm not good at self-regulating narcissist in my personal life. So I did what any respectable person would do as a young adult, and I ran from it. I moved away, and I didn't expose myself to these narcissistic people from my childhood unless I absolutely couldn't avoid it. Now, the problem was this. I still allowed myself to be exposed to it on episodes like holidays and family gatherings and things like that. And dare I say, manipulated by it. And it always took a massive toll on me and my immediate family, my new family, the family that I created when I, when I got married and had children. Now I've heard it said recently, don't ask a clown why it continues to act like a clown. Ask yourself, why you continue to go to the circus. You see, I think the healer in me always held out hope that I could continue to show up at the circus and in some strange way, heal, not not them, but the situation. You see, looking around at my friends and, and colleagues and seeing the healthy relationships they had with their extended families, I longed for that but I never could quite seem to grasp it with my extended family, my childhood family. In the past few years, and and yes, I told you I was going to shoot from the hip and, and be vulnerable and honest with you. In the past few years, I've come to the stark realization that I do not have to fix them. I do not have to fix the situation. In fact, I've gone so far as to say I must not fix them or this situation. 
Now, that may seem harsh to some people, especially people on the acquaintance level who deal with narcissists and don't realize they're dealing with narcissists. But it takes a mutualness to fix anything. And if the other party doesn't view themselves as part of the problem, therefore part of the solution, then there's no fixing that's going to occur. Now, sadly, this took me over 50 years to figure out, and I hope that by doing this podcast episode right now, today, it's going to help somebody figure this out long before age 50. Now, I'll leave you with this quote from Courtney Berg. She says, hope is not passive. You can believe in their healing, prosperity, and growth while also creating an environment for your own healing, prosperity, and growth. Having hope without boundaries isn't hope at all. It's codependency. You see, I can hope for their healing, but I don't have to be the one doing it because I remove myself from the codependent role I've been in all of my life. The, the role that I was forced to play. In fact, the healthiest thing I can do is not expose myself to the energy of the vortex, the energy of the black hole. And if you've watched any sci-fi movies that I just talked about regarding black holes, the only thing you can do to save yourself around a black hole is to put as much distance between you and that black hole as humanly possible. When you shift your mindset to number one, realize that there is a black hole there. And number two, that you no longer need to fix that black hole. And you can physically then distance yourself from that, the proximity of that black hole. Then your internal landscape will begin to detoxify and heal itself. And in time, those neural pathways that got reprogrammed in the in wonky ways they will begin to rewire themselves in healthy patterns again. If you're battling with depression or anxiety right now, you're over 40 and you feel like what I've just talked about kind of describes the category that you're in, that you're either living with a narcissist right now or you grew up with narcissists, then there may be a faster way to help this rewiring process occur because left on its own, it will, it will heal in time by doing the two things that I just, I just talked about, but it can take years. I found that out the hard way, but also found out a way to accelerate it. And it involves DNA profiling of your genes related to depression and anxiety, and then putting a plan in place to nourish those genes, nutritionally nourish those genes to correct those imbalances that are there. And clinically, what I see in the office when I'm working with clients now, by doing this DNA profile profiling, we're able to accelerate that curve, that healing curve into days or weeks versus months or years. Now, if you're interested in knowing more about that, message me on Facebook or Instagram uh, at Dr. Brian G. Brown, and I'll be glad to uh, talk to you about it, discuss how you can get your brain back on track. And if you're the self-starter type uh, who wants to know more about this DNA profiling that I'm talking about, and you want to take steps towards going deeper in your healing journey. 
I've got the perfect solution to, for you. I I created a short, uh, self-paced, you know, work at your own pace um, program. It's called the Gene Hack Bootcamp. Now I know bootcamp sounds like there's a lot of work to it. It's really not a lot of work. You can you could get through the material in one sitting or, or or two sittings at the at the most. Or if you want to spread it out over five days, spread it out over five days. But there's not a lot of work to do. It's just sitting there soaking up the information of what I'm trying to share with you when it comes to healing through DNA profiling. And that is totally free for right now. So if you want to jump in on the boot camp, go to drbriangbrown.com forward slash gene hack forward slash boot camp, and you can enroll for free. Uh, tune in next Tuesday, or excuse me, gosh, I'm losing track of my days. Tune in next Thursday at noon Eastern Standard Time for our next In the Zone segment, where I'll be sharing the latest research and my insights about that research as it relates to optimizing your physical, emotional, and genetic landscape, your wellness journey. I'm most informed, most trusted, and most grateful you spent this time with us today. Until next time, stay in the zone. I'm Dr. Brian Brown.